Welcome to episode number three of the Conspiracy Analytica podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Sather, and in this show, we delve into the truth about our reality with logic and reason. Unfortunately, it seems like many conspiracy theorizers out there these days are falling for clickbait and disinformation, and I don't think we can afford to get sidetracked by these psyops. In today's show, we have Simon Esler, who I've known for a few years from being in the UFO spirituality circuit. I've met him a few times at conferences and events and always found him to be a good-hearted dude and a solid thinker. He creates content on social media and also has a show on Rise.TV called Theorize About Conspiracies. I wanted to bring him on to talk about the problem of fake spirituality, how people will preach about love and light and positive vibrations and all that without actually walking the talk. Some out there have called it New Age bullshit, and Simon does a good job of cutting right through the narcissism at the heart of it. So without any further ado, let's dig into fake spirituality with Simon Esler. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. How you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely, man. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a little while. So for people out there who aren't familiar with you or your work, you know, how did you get into online media creation and how did you get into awakening waking up what was your kind of red pill experience how did you get to here mm, so uh you know funnily enough the the sort of trigger that cascaded my awakening was years ago when i actually saw the movie the mothman prophecies oh mothman and yeah it just sent me down a rabbit hole it tripped me out and i started looking into this and then I started having all these awakening experiences, being woke up, woken up in the middle of the night with, you know, uh, understandings and sort of just downloads of information. And I just, I really, I couldn't stop researching it. And a big thing for me was the extraterrestrial issue uh, because I had already seen plenty of UFOs. I had had lots of experiences in that realm that had been very expansive for me. So uh, after I saw that movie, it just triggered endless research and i became fascinated with the expansion of human consciousness and and what that really means uh, not only to experience it but to then take that experience and apply it in a practical way that is of service to my family to my community uh so i spent some years sort of digging around and then uh really came up uh with this big focus on on disclosure mainly of the, the extraterrestrial issue, especially in terms of its spiritual potential. That was really a big passion for me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I started doing some conferences, doing some presentations at the conferences, uh, sort of sharing some of the practical knowledge on this that I think is missing in a lot of the discussions around disclosure, around the concept of releasing secret technologies, of expanded human consciousness. And really what I found was that, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, about waking up, you know, red pilling people and being awake. But there's a lot of people that just like aren't practically living any of the things they're talking about. And they're busy, I guess, imitating a lot of the things that they criticize. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I spent a long time sort of developing my voice in terms of, uh, helping humanity wake up. And before I went through that whole experience, I was an actor. I was on stage uh, as my main profession. And so more, most recently, I've shifted 
my focus so that not only am I focusing on sort of red pilling people and helping with the awakening process, but really bringing comedy forward as a tool to wake people up more and to cut through a lot of the bullshit that's out there, uh, especially the new age bullshit. Yeah, you have a, speaking of comedy, you have a special on Rise TV, don't you? New comedy special. I just dropped a 60-minute comedy special on Rise TV. It's called Theorize About Conspiracies. And uh, basically, it's really Canadian. I really welcome people into Toronto. And I'm going around Toronto, hitting up different spots in the city, talking about the history of the New World Order here, ufology in Toronto, you know, some of the things they're doing to the kids in the schools here. Uh, and really, like, you know, connecting with my city and, and the way Toronto and Canada are playing a role in this whole awakening process. Yeah, that's definitely something we need more of is comedy, is being able to laugh at this crazy, dark clown world. That would just help the healing process so much more. Is that is that kind of what you're feeling like? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've definitely noticed is that people are oversaturated with information in a way that they can't emotionally or intellectually or even spiritually adapt. So they spend all day sort of researching the new world order and the dangers of, you know, some of the, 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 the vaccines and all these things that are going on, but then they overwhelm themselves and they don't adapt in a way that allows them to continue to grow as people. It messes up their nervous systems. It messes up their self-regulation. So what I find is that when people can stop and, laugh but still be going through an experience of what it means to wake up what it means to expose dark secrets uh it's just much healthier so i think people are a little bit oversaturated with negative information and they need to find new ways into it and that's really what i was looking to do with this comedy special yeah that's good i really like that you're doing that and, th and that kind of segues us into our discussion that i wanted to have with you today and talking about that new age bullshit uh, we can go through just a variety of different, I guess, phrases or thoughts or mindsets that are common within the spirituality movement and dissect them. But one of them is avoiding the negative or avoiding uh, the darkness that makes people upset. They don't want to uh, think of these things or research these things that, I guess, bring them anger or bring them sadness or bring them some sort of attitude uh, or emotion that they don't want to have that makes them uncomfortable. So be positive, you know, re research what makes you happy, what makes you joyful. That I have a big problem with that, you know, because anger, these emotions, they're natural human emotions. We have to have them. We can't avoid them. And the way I see it, it's through that avoidance when you avoid the so-called negative, which is, you know, more or less actually a subjective term. When you avoid the quote unquote negative out there, which it could be politics, right? Politics gets a lot of people upset or uh, any of these just kind of hardcore topics, realizing a cult runs the world or that COVID-19 was a giant scamdemic or, you know, a lot of elites are into very dark pedophilic trafficking type uh, type fetishes, I guess you could say, they don't want to avoid that. They, they don't want to even think about that or research it. And by avoiding researching these topics and confronting them head on, that almost enables them to happen, enables them to spread that. I don't know. That's a lot of how I think about it. What do you think in terms of avoiding the negative? 
You know, I think a lot of this stems from really generic new age concepts like the law of attraction. I think that's where a lot of this started because, you know, you look at uh, really shady spiritual teachers like Ramtha, Jay-Z Knight. Yeah. She's really bad for this, right? So she'll promote something like a teaching, you know, of the law of attraction where if you have negative feelings, you're just going to attract a negative life. And if you keep positive feelings all the time, you'll attract success and happiness. Mm -hmm. And this is like, it's like a childlike view of the world. It's, it's utterly basic. It has nothing to do with how sophisticated we are as beings. And I think a lot of people fell for new age psyops, especially around things like the law of attraction. Yeah, know, when they came definitely. out with that, uh, that movie, The Secret, this was another thing where they, they were taking concepts that are nuanced and sophisticated and trying to sell them to people in this really lame way. And, you know, we are meant to experience darkness. We are meant to experience it fully and deeply, I would say. And there are mature ways to move through more negative experiences and to process negative information. Uh, but to avoid it, because you believe in a superstition that having a negative feeling sort of turns you into a magnet for that, mm -hmm. this is brutal. It's, it's, br <laughs> it's brutal that people fell for that. And I would say that it actually, a lot of that relates to Luciferian value systems. The whole idea that you are just desire and that it's okay just follow your desires your desires are all you know they're all these magnets that bring your, the life you want to you and so if you want that car like get that feeling of positivity in your body and then hold it while you're thinking of that car and like a lot of this to me connects to the whole notion that we are here to just follow our desires to the very end and uh that really starts to bridge into satanism and luciferianism and the way they teach their followers that there's nothing but your own will and you are meant to be here as a sovereign being just fulfilling all your desires. So I see like a creepy amount of overlap between mm -hmm. some of these new age concepts and the actual value system of people that are practicing Luciferians and Satanists. Right. It is a very self-centered ideology, self-centered mindset. And I like that you described it as a childlike way to think about our reality. Because I described earlier, the idea of negative and positive is 100% subjective. You know, what could be negative to you is positive to somebody else, or positive to you is negative to somebody else. And for instance, one, one example I used earlier is like elites being sex traffickers and pedophiles. Somebody could say, oh, that's very negative, which I mean, yeah, it's negative. Although you could say exposing that idea is something that's very positive. So, you know, the, those two ways of describing our reality, negative, positive, good, bad, it's very superficial, very childlike. And it's something that we need to kind of move past and see an objective good versus evil, an objective, uh, I guess, negative or positive, rather than you were describing the Luciferian ideologies in the will revolves around the individual. Everything revolves around me, me, me. It's very self-centered, and that doesn't really view a collective. That doesn't see the collective as being central, or at least just as important as the individual. Uh, it's just very individual-based. So yeah, and I think people avoid. The, you know, they they want to avoid suffering rather than recognizing that we have the innate capacity to transform suffering into spiritual growth. 
So it's not whether or not you struggle, it's how mature are you going to be with your struggle so that it becomes something greater and you become something greater when you encounter that darkness or that negativity. And I guess that comes back to the maturity aspect of it. And I mean, without darkness, there would be no light, correct? Yeah, we need it. We, we have come here to work with the darkness on this planet. So to come here and avoid it by using immature spiritual concepts is to sidestep the whole purpose of, of your life path here. We didn't come here for pure pleasure. We came here to do some work and some of the work is grimy and hard and it's going to feel like shit, but what are you going to do with it? You know, I don't, I don't avoid my children getting sick, you know, like my children need to get sick to get stronger immune systems. Right. Okay. So it's like this whole thought, you know, you can take it into the, the realm of immunity and look at it in a similar way where it's like, you want to get in the world and get dirty and you want to get the flu and get these things and come up with a stronger immune system. And it's the same thing with moving through the truths in this world that need to be exposed and some of the darkness that's in us, because if there's darkness in the world, some of it is within us as well. And so being able to move through that with maturity is very important. And I think there is a sort of like a, a strength that we can build. But when we look at, you know, for example, how weak, a lot of the men have turned out to be in this whole scandemic and the lack of like fathers and men standing up for their children. You know, I think a lot of that is just people avoiding difficulty. They don't want to go through the difficult experience of being ostracized in their community, even though what they're standing up for is right. Yeah. You know, avoiding that, avoiding that negative, avoiding that darkness is going to make you weak in the long run. I've always been a fan of, moving through as much darkness as you can to potentiate who you are as a human, to make you as strong as possible. That's what I've always been a fan of. Now, I want to move to another concept we often hear about, another kind of, maybe you could say superficial rhetoric that gets thrown out there quite a bit, vibration, being high vibe. High vibe versus low vibe, right? What, do you, how, what vibration are you living in these days, Simon? <laughs> Uh, well, certainly, I wouldn't say it's a single vibration. Uh, I don't think we are. Uh, I don't think we are like tuning forks in that way. I think we are really nuanced. So I've been probably the best way to look at it is from a psychological perspective. So I've been studying the work of a, a guy named Richard Schwartz a lot lately. And okay. He's got like some breakthrough information and theories on psychology, and what he looks at is the idea that. We actually have uh, many parts, like many personalities within us naturally that, you know, he debunks this thing called the mono mind, that we just have like one singular mind, uh, which is, you know, it's easy to debunk when you think about the fact that any of us can have an internal contradiction where you feel like one part of you wants this, but the other part of you wants this other thing. So we are multifaceted inside. Okay. So this is important to understand because it's sort of like fractalized. His theory is called internal family systems theory. And the concept is that you grow up in a family and then that all the different beings in your life, they fractalize inside of you. And you have these different parts of you. You have the voice of your mom, the voice of your dad, and the voice of your brother and your sisters. This helps form your personality. So within us, we have multiple different sort of voices and opinions and beliefs. We can be very complex inside. So how does that measure up to the idea that like you need to be humming along like a certain vibration? To me, 
that gets into spiritual bypassing. But it's like, what if you have a part of you that's really dark and traumatized and has really sort of dark thoughts and needs to be acknowledged and recognized? So I really feel that the idea of perpetually trying to be high vibe is used by a lot of people to bypass their own darkness instead of dealing with it and confronting it. You know, we all had trauma growing up. Like if you were born on earth, you have trauma. That's it. There's no one who's not traumatized. So I think the spiritual bypassing danger uh, has led to a, a big lack of growth when it comes to people recognizing their own darkness, especially people in communities like ours who are so focused on constantly exposing darkness, but not really dealing with the fact that it's in them as well. And that maybe they have, you know, thoughts and opinions and beliefs that uh, go against the persona that they present into the world and they're not authentic in representing how complex they are as a being that they have darkness and contradictions and all these things as well so i just think the whole idea of maintaining a high or low vibe gets ridiculous and you know you're you're very likely to reject parts of yourself if you're functioning in that way all the time that is some fantastic insight and again that's another ideology that becomes subjective what is high vibe to you what is low vibe to you right that could be different for different people and then it becomes very sort of self-interested in well i'm gonna live high vibe which is this way to me and if you're not living in the particular way that i'm viewing and believing then you're a low vibe person it creates almost like a hierarchical system within the mind of people and it doesn't seem you know it seems more dividing than unifying plus a lot of the so-called low vibration uh, emotions that people believe are like anger and sadness and depression. And sometimes if I'm depressed, I want to be depressed. I want to be as depressed as possible because then I can just get it out of the way and then start feeling better sooner. If I'm angry, I feel like I need to be angry. I need to break some shit. I need to punch some things because then we can deal with that anger get it out of the way, like you were saying, you know, deal with it, deal with that darkness, and then we can start uh, facilitating uh, happiness in a true way, a good foundation of, I guess, positive vibration. So yeah, that's that's another one of those that I think is kind of silly sometimes, the high vibe, low vibe thing. Okay, what does that mean? Can you explain it a little more? It's dogmatic, you know? Right? It's really Very dogmatic. dogmatic. And I think like, to me, my main focus, especially lately, is just the concept of free thought, of free thinking. And, you know, the, this is something that, that, that Q was a big promoter of, uh, you know, this, the, the, the whole definition of it, right? This ability to produce thoughts that don't come from dogma, authority, or tradition. And this is just an exercise people need to regularly perform. To what extent is my thinking attached to any dogma, any tradition, you know, any kind of authority. And so if we're not checking ourselves in terms of the ability to produce thoughts that are our very own, then we are going to be at the whims of one of those three forces, you know? And I think, uh, yeah, like spiritual new age garbage turns into a lot of dogma or false authority or a lot of just tradition for tradition's sake, and it becomes hollow. So, you know, I just think that the free thought is really like, that's the anchor that, that we need to hang on to because it, you know, it cuts through all the bullshit. It helps people from different religions communicate with each other because it's nice and clear. 
and basic is something that even atheists promote, that we need to be able to produce thoughts that aren't attached to these three things. So I really look at it that way. And that's sort of like my, my personal, my litmus test where I'm like, all right, all right, what's the deal? Do I have, do I have any of those things affecting my thinking? And how can I get better and better at recognizing that I'm living from dogma, authority, or tradition for no reason? Do you think some of this new age bullshit, some of this rhetoric is based in narcissism? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I think we have a really, we have a problem with narcissism in our society. You know, I saw uh, some footage of uh, one of the, the emergency medical professionals at the Travis Scott concert. And uh, his opinion, you know, he said it was a total shit show. He was literally like waiting through the crowd with just like people, like bodies on the ground. He couldn't like help the first person he was sent to help because he kept finding people with like dislocated shoulders and broken feet. And like his opinion was that this is what happens when you put a bunch of young narcissistic people into a chaotic scene. Look at the outcome. All these people tore each other apart. You know, so to him, from his perspective, it was literally like an explosion of like contained narcissism. Yeah, you know, I'm one to openly question if I feel a question arising in me, I can't hide it. So I'll, I'll question people or their narratives or something. And it's not personal, but I'm just putting it out there for people to have the free thought you were talking about. And my gosh, I get, I get some real hate. I can get some real you know, some real nasty attitudes from people who you go look at their social media profile, you've got 5D, living high vibes, spiritual, all this stuff that they kind of attach to. But man, they can be so upset when you just simply, I don't know, question them. So it's it, it really yeah. does feel like there's a narcissism kind of around the spiritual movement. And I mean, you've been to conferences and events and things like that some of the same ones that i've been to and don't get me wrong there's been a lot of great people there who i think are solid human beings but i, I have met some people that i think are more self-interested than interested in the in the greater collective and oh you, you kind of do feel this this narcissism have you met anybody like that of course no names yeah. need to be mentioned but you know you yeah. yeah definitely because i think you know with communities like ours, when someone rises up to the top, right, and they get like a whole lot of attention, uh, and they have a lot of people sort of putting energy towards them and believing in them and supporting them, um, you know, you have to be very disciplined in yourself and on your path to be able to receive that kind of attention and not have it amplify narcissism in you. If you haven't done that work, then when you get a sudden burst of attention, uh, all it's going to do is amplify the narcissism that was already there. And so I've definitely seen that. I've definitely seen it where it's like all of a sudden someone will become more popular and you can tell that they really didn't do the work to, to humble themselves and to be a leader uh, in that way because it, it, all it does is echo their immaturity. And I've definitely seen it and I've seen people be misled by it. Uh, and you know, there's some irony, there's some irony because in, in a community that is constantly focused on like revealing the truth and like exposing lies and all this stuff, uh, there's often, um, a lack of discernment and I, and I, and I would go back to free thought. There's a lack of free thinking when it comes to 
why someone has been given a position of leadership uh, or it just comes down to like not being able to say that, oh, maybe I was wrong. Like maybe I was just wrong about that person. You know, maybe I was misled or, or maybe I needed to, you know, experience that person's influence so that I could see the part of myself that I hadn't worked on and then just move on. So, you know, there's a, I think there's, there's some immaturity that has held sort of truth-seeking communities back from walking the talk and from really embodying the life of like truth and authenticity that, that we want in the world. You know, we're so upset with all these corrupt leaders that are always lying and misleading. Um, but the, the greatest response to that is being ultimately so true with yourself and true uh, with yourself about the information you're consuming and the people that you're putting, you know, in a position of leadership, uh, all of this is, I think, something that could evolve a lot in communities that identify as like truth-seeking communities. Right. And with social media apps and platforms these days, they really are a blessing and a curse. It's fantastic that we're able to network the way we can network. I can talk to you in a different country. And even though Canada is absolutely screwed with lockdowns right now, I can still have a chat with you. I can figure out, you know, anything I want to figure out just at the, at the touch of a screen. It's fantastic. But at the same time with these social media apps, you can create content and get an absolutely massive following for yourself almost overnight at lightning speed. You can get hundreds of thousands of followers like that. And you were describing earlier how when you get that sort of following, it can amplify, you know, if you're not centered with who you are and spiritually mature, it can amplify those immaturities or that narcissism in you. And with how quick we can with social media, it happens even faster. And then with social media as well, it's so easy to put on a face and, you know, be totally different when the camera's not on or away from social media than it is on. So we really have to be careful and not jump to conclusions about people just based off what we see about them on the internet. And that goes both ways. That goes for becoming emotionally attached to them and really, really loving them. Or that goes for really disliking them and hating them. You don't know this person. So from both sides of the spectrum, we just need to not jump to conclusions about either loving or hating people when we really have no no clue about them. And if you are going to be a content creator out there, you listening to this podcast, you, especially in the truth-telling, truth-seeking, awakening movement, you better damn well get yourself you know, centered and secure as a human before you get that following because it's it's tough, man. It, it's It's definitely tough. And I know I've had my own struggles in dealing with, okay, I'm going to have to mature because I've been doing this about five years now online. So yeah, I've gone through some challenges myself and and some maturity grows. How about you, you know, in, in doing this work, have you had certain struggles where you really had to get yourself into gear and mature up real quick because of this work? Oh yeah, absolutely. It has called, it has called on me to do that and, and to get really real with it. And uh, you know, for me, that was kind of why I kept pursuing it. 
because there was a time when I was straddling between, oh, sort of like my regular career as an actor. And I was doing some work in my community as a personal support worker. And then I was also doing like truth seeking disclosure work. And I was like, oh, whatever, I'll straddle both worlds. Uh, and, and, you know, it came to a point when I was like, you know what, I got to go all in. But to do that, I'm really going to have to like do some serious work on myself if I'm going to be able to present myself authentically. Because there is the opportunity. It's like you said, there is the opportunity to suddenly become super popular. There are ways to do that. But if you do that in a way that's not natural, like it's just going to mess you up. Learning how to stay authentic as you grow your audience and to stay true to who you are no matter what. I mean, this is the biggest challenge. And to really do that, you have to have that as a priority above how many people you're trying to reach. It has to be your number one, that you are true to yourself in what you're creating and what you're putting in the world. And if that's your priority and you hold that line, then you also know that the following you're building is authentically your following. It's more likely they're going to be following you for who you are rather than their projection uh, of you know who you've tried to present yourself as. And you know, I really I had to do a ton of work on that where I had to stop. And there are even times when I had to pull back and be like, wait a minute, I gotta make sure that I'm not presenting myself as an authority on things that I'm not living. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, I feel really comfortable now sort of merging my truth telling with my comedy because it's so much more myself. And, you know, I can, I can shoot the shit about spirituality and metaphysics all day. Uh, but what I found was that if I'm doing that all the time, uh, it can very easily creep into a space where I'm, I'm speaking about things that I'm not even able to live yet you know, truly, deeply. And so there's a danger, I think, in, in presenting yourself as an expert uh, because it's so easy to come across that way, but then not really truly being that person. And you, you get into this, there's a trap I think you're experiencing for sure that when people turn on you, suddenly, you know, you'll present an opinion they don't like and they'll flip on you and they don't realize that they were just projecting onto you, that they never knew you. They had no idea who you were and the only reason it triggered them was because they already had internal conflicts that they never dealt with. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't realize that we have disbelief and belief in us at the same time. We're, we're these sort of like dual beings, right? So if you, let's say you really believe in someone's work, okay? Belief is something that has to be upheld. It has to be sustained in you. It's not, it doesn't just sit there, right? Belief is something that we like constantly fuel. But because we are the beings that we are, and we are dualistic inside, if you are maintaining belief in someone, it means some part of you also disbelieves in them. You have both in you. We all do. And we don't realize that. So when someone suddenly presents information that triggers us and we suddenly turn on them, it's just because we don't realize that we were never 100% with that person. We were living only in one area of ourselves and not being true to to who we are and, and, and how we actually are inside of ourselves. And I just, it's so important for people to recognize that we are contradictory beings. We live with a lot of deep contradictions in us. So, you know, I had to really come to terms with a lot of that in just building my body of work and sharing what I have and making sure that uh, I'm not just saying what people want to hear so that I can build a follow-up. Yeah, man, we could definitely shoot the shit on spirituality and metaphysics all day long. I got two things to say on all that. Number one, I definitely feel 
very similar to what you said in that, you know, seeing this work, getting onto social media, doing the truth telling, awakening content creation, we knew it was going to come with baggage. We knew it was going to be a difficult process that challenged us and, and made us uh, mature spiritually. And that was almost the pull. That, that's kind of how I felt too a few years ago when I started getting into this. I'm like, ooh, it's going to be really tough, but let's do it. You know, let's do it just to improve myself, challenge myself, and grow. So there's that. Number two, I really like how you said belief. Uh, not only did you say belief and disbelief exist within us simultaneously, but belief is something that needs to be maintained. And I guess you could say disbelief needs to be maintained too, but whichever way you go, whether you're believing something or disbelieving it, that has to be continuously inflated with evidence, with proof, you know, with information, knowledge you're coming across to maintain that belief in something. You know, I've I've believed in people or believed ideas before and then as soon as I came across information that contradicted that, that seemed more true, that looked more true, then that belief started getting deflated, and I guess the disbelief started growing. But even then, uh, I guess I wasn't a hundred percent disbelief because that whole that whole idea of beliefs, I never it it never sat right with me. How people can be so hundred percent sure about these certain things that they 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 didn't experience, they don't really know, they were just told from outside authorities. So. I, I think beliefs, we just need to be careful in how much we attach to them. Yes, absolutely. I believe in, in and of itself is not really a great tool. And one of the things I found to balance this is really just remembering that in an age of information and, and you're, you know, remembering that as you live through an information war, you have to stay grounded in your direct personal experience of reality, of life itself. And what happens is that when you really stay grounded in what you have had a direct truthful experience with, you start to build trust. And that's totally different from belief, right? Trust is something that becomes stronger when we move through doubt. So let's say you doubt yourself, but you move through this experience. And despite your self-doubt, you become successful. And then you build trust. You transform that doubt into trust in yourself. And so I think building trust in our ourselves and our direct experiences is really important. And, and I think a lot about the sort of UFO ET issue as an example of this, you know, because for me, because I've had direct experiences, then I was able to build a certain amount of trust in this information and move naturally in that direction because my life path was showing me these things. Whereas if someone has lived a life where they've never seen a UFO, They've never had any direct encounters with any of this. Well, I would respect that person for trusting their life path and being entirely skeptical of all of it. So I personally have an advantage having had direct experiences. So I'm grounding myself in those direct experiences. But that's totally different from believing in these ideas because I've seen a certain amount of information. So I really think that for, for people's mental health and for their spiritual growth, they need to take the time to get really grounded in what they've personally and directly experienced and make sure that that's the basis that's guiding them because information is tricky, you know, and in an information war, it's even trickier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, not having a solid belief is okay. It's okay. Not knowing it's okay. Not believing 
often when I question people's beliefs and I show them, hey, maybe, you know, your belief here isn't isn't fully rooted in truth. And then they start accepting what I'm saying to them. They go, okay, maybe what I believe isn't true. And then they start freaking out. And they're like, well, then tell me the truth. You know, tell me what to believe. Tell, tell me what's going on. And they start getting this, this schizo kind of attitude. And it's like, no, you know, we, we don't need to believe anything. You know, it's okay. I'm just showing you how this particular claim of yours isn't really rooted in truth. So I think we need to really be okay and just kind of living in the question, living in the void and not going one way or the other until, like you said, we have some sort of experience or it gets overwhelmingly proven to us that uh, we should believe something. Now, I want to move into maybe a couple more uh, new age BS terminologies and then we can finish this up. So I want to talk about living in 5D. You li- do you live in 5D, Simon? Are you or are you in 6D? How many how many Ds are you in right now? <laughs> well, uh, I gotta say that that term is a trigger for me. Uh, when I'm like looking at a message someone is sharing, uh, because I, I don't think it has any agreed upon meaning whatsoever. Right. I don't think there is any foundational definition that is shared through the communities that allow people to like share in that concept because I see people using it just maniacally all over the place for so many different things. And you know, when the, when a term doesn't have a concrete definition, then how can you build community around it, right? When it's generic and vague, this is dangerous. Human beings don't respond well to vagueness. We become chaotic as individuals, as communities, like vague concepts and vague rules are very bad for us. This is actually a specific kind of warfare uh, that's used, like communist China uses this all the time. It's a big part of the COVID narrative, making rules and definitions that are very, very vague. Actually, here in Ontario, the police sued the government because the laws that they were trying to enforce through COVID were too vague. They were so unenforceable. So when you look at the idea of like living 5D, but it's just vague, it's just creating chaos. So, you know, when people throw around these loose terms and talk about you know, which D they're living in, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm highly skeptical. And I think we need to be really, really careful about how, how we use generic and vague concepts to form communities and to, to form a direction as communities. We're going to have a battle between all the people living in 4D and people living in 5D, and we're not going to be able to see it here, are we? Uh, and it, you know, the whole idea of I'm 5D, we're going to be in 5D, humanity's ascending to 5D. Uh, number one, show me five dimensions, measure it for me. Number two, it's like, it's, I, I see people use the whole idea of 5D as a massive gaslighting way to almost, again, create division, create a hierarchy. Say, I'm more enlightened, you're not enlightened, so you need to, I don't know, act the way I want you to act or believe what I want you to believe or something like that. I, I, I often hear influencers on their videos on, you know, BitChute, Rumble, YouTube, whatever, they, they'll say, well, you don't understand my information or if you if you aren't understanding me, then you're not living 5D enough. And my jaw almost drops. I'm like, that is massively manipulative to tell the people listening to you that they're not 5D enough, whatever that even means. 
because they don't understand you. And then what they're saying in the first place is you can't even understand it. So it's, it's bad. And then this idea of, you know, ascension, right? Because that's often what people use the term 5d in is humanity is moving from 3d to 5d and, and we're ascending. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think that the idea of ascension could very well be true. You know, there could definitely be different planes or octaves of existence where, um, and us as a collective, we could be moving to, I guess, the next stage in human evolution. But I mean, I've, I mean, if I was going off some people I listened to 10 years ago, then we're already ascended. Then, you know, it's, 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 yeah. so anyway, what, what's your thoughts on the idea of ascension, how it's used by various personalities out there, good or bad? I think what I see most often is uh, social engineering that would be best described through the lens of, uh, I guess, the behavioral sciences. So there's this thing called operant conditioning, which is really just like, it's one of the most rampant forms of social engineering in our society, where basically uh, people are coerced into behaving correctly through punishments and rewards, right? So like a basic way of looking at it is like in the school system, children are threatened with an F or they're the, the, the reward of the A, and these things are dangled in front of them. And it's right. like, you behave correctly and you'll get the A. Or if you behave incorrectly, you get the F. Or like this heaven or I hell see. or these it's, sorts of ideas. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. So I see a lot of that going on uh, in a number of different ways. So there's the idea that uh, we're going to be rewarded with ascension. And that it's like, you know, it's you deserve it. You deserve to just suddenly be like raptured into a higher state of consciousness because you've lived such a hard life. And this gets really, really murky with people trying to avoid suffering and trying to avoid darkness because, uh, you know, they get to this point where it's like, okay, well, when am I just going to get the ascension reward? Like, when is it, is it coming? And they get- They're um, like a dog wagging their tail. I want to, when do I get it? When do I get it, right? Totally. And you see all these prognosticators, people saying that like, anytime now we're going to have like this, you know, there's going to be this big sort of rapturous event. There's going to be like this one big disclosure that's going to like change consciousness on earth. And you know, people fall prey to that because they grew up in a system that relied on operant conditioning that says you need an external operant to move you through your life direct direction with punishments and rewards. And people are, they have a hard time breaking out of operant conditioning because it's absolutely everywhere in our society because we're all raised with that dynamic as very, very little children. And so I, I see a ton of it in the concept of ascension as this sort of reward uh this this reward that 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 we are deserving because things have been so dark on this planet uh rather than you know something that uh i guess the way i look at it is that there are cycles in nature that are moving things forward but whether or not we use those cycles it's not automatic i don't know will we be responsible enough as a collective will we be mature enough to use some of the natural changes that are occurring it remains to be seen uh, but certainly a lot of the immaturity comes to me from this idea of, of needing an external operant to tell you you're either avoiding the punishment or you're moving towards the reward. And, and so I think, you know, people can fall for misinformation and disinformation in this realm based on that conditioning. And, and again, it, it comes back to free thought because, you know, if you're, if you're caught up in that kind of dogma and the dogma of operant conditioning, 
then you're going to fall prey to a lot of these psyops and a lot of this bad info where, you know, everything is on the verge of like the one great change instead of like, it's just a grind. It's just a slow everyday grind of trying to do the work, trying to wake yourself up, trying to help people. Uh, but, uh, you know, the idea of the sudden breakthrough point, I think, has, has misled a lot of people in a lot of different spiritual communities. Simon coming in with a hard slap of truth right across your face. Spiritual <laughs> truth. No, man, I, that is a lot of fantastic insight. Although, just kind of, we don't have to say fact or fiction or be sold on a particular belief. But do you think that there is some sort of ascension that humanity is heading towards in whatever capacity that means? Yeah, I do think there's like a, there's a quickening going on. There's pressure. There's pressure occurring. And, I, you know, one of the ways I see this to be true is that on the one hand, I do see people growing and evolving. I see it so clearly, like in my community. Again, this comes back to my direct experience where people that I know who were stuck, who didn't understand what was going on, who didn't understand the depth of darkness and corruption on this planet, they now get it. And they're changing themselves based on the recognition of these deep, difficult truths. So I see it. And so I can. I can connect that to the personal growth that I've had. And then I have direct personal experiences with actual a quickening of spiritual personal growth that I've seen in myself and others. And on the other side, I've seen people get sucked under. I've seen people who can't handle it. They can't handle the intensity of changes, the sort of quickening that's going on right now with like how much change is occurring, how much pressure is being put on us as individuals to adapt. Because I really believe that our whole lives from death to birth, it's how well can you adapt, right? Just get really good at adapting to life circumstances. So Not the survival uh, you know, of the fittest, it's the survival of the most adaptable. Yeah, exactly. And so when I see people getting sucked under, you know, that to me, again, is some evidence that there is an intensity, there is a rising up of some kind on earth that's occurring. Uh, and, and people need help, like people need help moving through this. They really, really need service-oriented leaders that want to take this opportunity of massive change because all of us can see the rate of change on earth has quickened from a very practical logical level you can see changes in human life uh, are speeding up and so it is this pressure to adapt as individuals and as a, as a collective so i do believe there is there is an awakening occurring there that that is occurring uh but uh none of it is being done for us it's on us, 100%. I do agree. And you know, there's no doubt that our magnetic poles are shifting on our planet right now. And there are some very good science out there, more underground science, but it's definitely scientific to suggest that we could be due for some sort of mass solar micronova, big solar flash within the next 50 years or so. So we'll see. We'll see when that all happens, what happens to uh humanity to our consciousness especially because when the sun blasts off a big explosion of plasma and highly charged particles at us that's going to do some definite work on our pineal glands on our nervous systems and heck you know we might not even feel anything physical just go on a mass like collective dmt trip altogether up to a new plane of existence we'll see but like you said it is definitely a slow grind it is not an easy path to get there and you can't just want that treat. You can't just beg for it and think that we're going to get saved by anything. Ascension, aliens, 
you know, whatever deity or spiritual religious figure you think is going to come down from the clouds and save you. Like, I, I don't think that's the case uh, for, for any of us. And last thing I want to talk to you about, it's not really, a, I guess you might be able to call it new age BS, but this kind of goes for every spiritual sect or religion or what have you. Um, I, I am a believer in prayer and in meditation in putting your your thoughts and intentions out into the cosmos to God and and trying to affect change that way but prayer meditation intention without action i think that's the problem is that people don't realize if you will that when you pray that's good and fine and all but change isn't going to come without actionable effort behind that prayer. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this particular subject or these uh, ideologies of prayer and action and meditation? You know, my, my understanding of prayer is probably not what people want to hear because I don't, that means we need to hear it. Yeah. (laughs) Pandora's box. You know, to me, prayer is more, uh, it's more about being empty enough to be guided in, in, in serving what is going on in, in the way that is most aligned with what you have as a being, what skills, what strengths you have. So when I, when I look at prayer, I look at it more as an emptying of myself so that there's room for me to be guided rather than a like, please help me with this thing. Please save me from this thing. Or please help this other person. Like it's not that I feel that's nothing, but you know, I, I see more issues with our interference with what's going on. And I think internally that's very true. So, you know, there's a there's a teacher, I you know, I follow a lot of his work. His name's Luhan Matus, and he, he talks about this in his new book about you know, prayers it has more to do with internal silence and emptiness than it has to do with going into yourself and trying to communicate with a higher force to get what you believe should come into the world. So I really look at it more about that kind of emptiness and availability in ourselves to be of service. So when I go into meditation or forms of prayer, I'm really just looking to get my shit out of the way so I can get clear on what I need to do and how I need to impact the world. And and to me, that provides a lot of direction and clarity, but it has more to do with me getting out of the way than uh trying to receive again like this sort of external guidance or like an external operant that's sort of going to show me the way to go Uh, i don't really see it that way and i think if we spent more time quiet within ourselves uh we would probably benefit a lot more from things like prayer Uh, and i think we need to learn to recognize where our internal chatter comes from right what is making up your internal dialogue? Why do you have the internal questions and desires that you do? Uh, so I, I think if people do more work to empty themselves of some of that internal interference, they get a lot more out of prayer and meditation than, uh, than maybe they're getting right now. Yeah, and to me, the idea of meditation, typically people think, well, you just got to sit there in a special pose and quiet your mind and not do anything for 
a half hour, an hour, what have you. There's a very rigid kind of idea in what meditation is. But to me, meditation can be really anything that kind of empties you, like you say. So one of my favorite meditations is just uh, going to the park, wherever there's a soccer goal. I'm a big fan of soccer. I've played for like 15 years. So I just go out, kick a ball around, and I don't have a thought in the world. I don't have a care in the world. And it's a fantastic meditation for me. Or some people do walks or runs or, or anything, lift weights, what, what, what have you. Uh, and then there is a difference between that meditation and prayer, though, because prayer, you're putting a, a specific intention out to God or to the universe and trying to get that to happen. But a problem I see with prayer is that people pray from the angle of like a selfish beggar a lot of the times. I want this. Um, I, you know, can you make this happen? Please, God. And that's, you know, that's not a way to affect the collective will to make change. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't... and I would say the collective will is a big part of it too. Like if you're looking at prayer, I would say one of the biggest advantages it can have is like collective prayer, let's say. So I would differentiate that because bringing a collective focus, uh, you know, that's, that's, a different, that's a different practice. But again, like getting all the people to really get into the same space internally and to actually truly have the same focus you know, we're all, uh, you know, people are pretty chaotic inside. And I think this is one of the benefits of having spiritual communities that are genuinely working together uh, with a set of spiritual principles that they all actually understand and have the same definitions, right? It comes back to that 5D thing, like it's not having any proper, true definition to it. And so if people are working within a school of thinking spiritually, and they really are coherent in their definitions and their understanding, and I think like collective prayer, you know, that collective focus can do a lot. But I think that's become really rare, especially in terms of the New Age community, because the New Age community, a lot of it was born out of a resistance to religion and to like how much religion was encroaching upon free thought. But in forming some of these New Age systems of thinking and communities, I think there was a struggle to really anchor those concepts in uh, really grounded principles that can be shared in a way that generates true, effective, collective focus through things like mass prayer. Whoo, Simon, fantastic talk, man. This has been a this has been a good one. I think people are really going to like a lot of the ideas that you brought to the table here. Uh, hey, man, where can people go to find your work? What's the best place people can connect with Simon and? Do you have any upcoming projects that you want to discuss here? Yeah, so uh, definitely uh, I'll share my, my link tree with you. And that, that has all my socials. I'm on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and Twitter and Telegram. Uh, I'm really, really shadow banned on Instagram. So you might have to type my full name in and go to the very, very bottom there. <laughs> you must be shadow banned because I see your posts and you have like five views. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. And then I'll go and share something on TikTok and I get like 60,000 views. I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing, but it is what it is. Uh, check out my new comedy special on Rise TV. Uh, you know, just 60 minutes of red pills and comedy. Really just good for people. Uh, You've got a trailer out there publicly of it, don't you? Yeah, you can check out a five-minute trailer for it on my YouTube and actually in the description good of that know. trailer... There's a link for you to get three free days on Rise TV. If you're not a subscriber, go watch the special for free anyways. Uh, you know, enjoy yourself. 
Uh, I've got a documentary that I wrote on Dauntless Dialogue called Vague Rules, and that actually gets into vague rules as a form of warfare. It's history in communist China and how that was used in the whole COVID narrative across North America. So nice. go check that out. Uh, and then, yeah, I've got a, a new comedy series coming up on Rise TV. I've got a documentary on free thinking and plant-based eating coming out on Dauntless Dialogue next month. Uh, and then I've got a documentary series on the war on the family that will be coming out in a few months on the Orin. And uh, that, uh, that'll be coming along with a conspiracy cooking show called Through the Cooking Glass. Through the cooking glass. <laughs> That's awesome. I'd like to watch that one. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Simon. This was a fantastic conversation. We'll get you on again soon, or maybe get you on my uh, Contra Strength podcast to talk about your plant-based eating, and then we'll talk about more health concepts. But hey, man, it was an awesome chat. We'll do this again soon. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, brother. I look forward to seeing you next time. All right.